Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. We're going to read this in the ESV, and we encourage you to look this up. For if you're here in person, you, you've got ESV Bibles under your seats. Uh, we encourage you to look it up if you have a Bible or Bible app for those at home. Or uh, We encourage you to follow along with us, but it's also going to be projected uh, behind me. So again, that's Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. We'll give you a moment to find it. And once you're ready to read the scripture, if you could please stand as able for those here in person. And uh, obviously, you can do that at home if you feel comfortable doing that. You definitely don't have to. Um, Again, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. All right, friends. Well, uh, we are continuing our mega sermon series, Life Period. And today's message is called God in Real Life. You guys ever see like on the internet, there's all kinds of like acronyms and shortened things uh, just because... Right? Like when people are typing, you just don't, I don't know, we're getting lazy, we don't want to type out the whole thing. And so we have these shorthand ways of referring to things. Do you guys know what IRL is? I mean, it's probably kind of obvious just because it's in our title today. IRL means in real life. And you might be wondering, well, when would you ever use that, like on the internet? And for me, one of the situations where I would find myself using that, or other people using that, I didn't know what it was until I played uh, online games. So I used to play this game called World of Warcraft, and uh, it's like one of the most evil, time-sucking games of all time. I mean, I'm sure it's fine for some people, but it was for me. Uh, and I found myself really con- consumed, and I think a lot of people were. And, you know, like, like there's all these kinds of things that you can do in the game that, that are, like, fun, and you, you can even have jobs. Sometimes, like, I would have this, like, weird moment in the game where I'm, like, you know, doing a job. I'm, like, forging armor or something. And I'm selling it to vendors. And I'm like, why am I working in a game? Right? But yeah, you can have jobs, you have professions, different roles, right? And so one of the things that, that people would say, like, it, you know, they'd be chatting with you or whatever, they'd be like, oh, what do you do? And you might be like, I'm a warrior. And like, no, no, no. I mean, IRL, like in real life. And it's kind of funny because I, I, I just showed a, like, like there's a screenshot of, um, th- this is like the class that I was when I played these online games. Um, I, I would be like, oh, 
I'm a priest. <laughs> I would always be a healer. Oh, well, no, no, no. What do you do in real life? I'm a pastor. Oh, makes sense. <laughs> but friends, you know, maybe for some people, they're like, no, no, no. I don't want to be, you know, if I'm a pastor, I don't want to be a priest. You know, I want to be somebody who does damage, you know. I want to be someone really different. And maybe for some people, we want to escape real life, right? Because there's something about real life that we just can't face. But friends, you know, in many ways, you know, I was kind of thinking, what does God look like in real life? Because we've been saying this from the beginning. I mean, it's our sermon series, Life Period. How do we bring God? How do we bring our faith into our real lives, right? And so it's a question that probably doesn't have an answer, like, like what does God actually look like in real life? Uh, in in um, the Mosaic Law, there are prohibitions against graven images of God, right? And maybe some of it what had to do with this idea that uh, there was this kind of pagan belief that if you could capture the image of a god or a deity, that in some ways you could control them, that they were beholden to you, right? And obviously the first commandment is, well, there is no other god, right? There's, there's one god, and that you shall have no other gods before you, right? Um, it's like 1A, 1B. And so this idea of graven images, yeah, it's this idea that maybe you're trying to subjugate God, um, but there is a way in which where it's like it doesn't quite capture God. God is bigger than that. And so I, I just looked it up on Google Images because that's what I do. And I found this picture, which I'm like, oh, that's kind of frightening. You know, <laughs> like, like it's like a face in the clouds. I don't know if you guys can tell. I mean, that's not what God looks like, but it's an artist representation. A very classic artist representation is like the old man in the sky. You know, it might just have like a little halo. You know, it has a nice white flowing beard. And you'll notice that this is God because like he's literally like chilling in a cloud, right? And this idea that God is above us, that God is not with us. And that in many ways, friends, is not the story of the gospel. That God is like way somewhere in space, somewhere in, in the heavens, right? Like, like he's only there. And yes, we do talk about God being in the heavens. But I've mentioned this many times before. When we say heavens, heavens has many tears to it. It's way up out there, but it's also right here. It's the air around us, right? So when it says kingdom of the heavens, it doesn't necessarily mean that God is only up there in the sky. It means God is everywhere. And God is meant to reign and rule everywhere. And we're going to see in this passage, which is a traditional kind of Christmas passage, right? It's about the birth of Jesus. Um, God's intent to come into our actual real lives. And so this is Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, to Joseph, which is kind of like a, a promise, an engagement. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, this is part of the birth narrative of Jesus, right? Part of the Christmas story. But I got to tell you, have you guys seen a Christmas play 
like a nativity play, like at church at some point in your life, right? I have, and this part is almost never in it, right? There's a version of it. That like, like, we like the part where the, 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 the angel comes, right? Because then you can, you know, do some church uh, costume work, right? <laughs> you can get the wings out, you know, it's pretty fun. So people like the angel part. But the part where before they actually get married, but they're promised to each other, and so it's like pretty much a done deal in that culture, right? It's not like, oh, maybe, maybe not. Like, it's, it's kind of a done deal, right? But Mary is pregnant. And Joseph can tell. And this part doesn't make it into the play, usually. <laughs> Why? Why? How come you don't have a cute five-year-old like, Mary, are you pregnant? Wait, we're not married yet. We haven't consummated the marriage. You've never seen that. You have never seen that. Why? It's messy, right? I mean, yes, we are told, like, up front, right? Gospel writers like, yo, 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 yo. It's from the Holy Spirit. Calm down. Calm down, everyone. It's from the Holy Spirit, right? But Joseph didn't know that. Right? And, and it would have been a scandal. And so he was going to dissolve uh, uh, that, that engagement, break it off quietly. Because he wanted to do the right thing. A- another part that's not in the Christmas play <laughs> is, Mary, is Joseph's reaction to that. Do you think he's like, oh, okay, well, I guess this isn't going to work out? Or do you think he was pissed? Excuse my French, but people get mad in real life. People get disappointed. Do you think he's heartbroken? Do you think he felt betrayed? Because that's also part of the Christmas story. Right? All of this stuff that is very real. Tension in a marriage. Right? Relational conflict. Right? You don't really think, like, like in that nativity play where you see Joseph and Mary and it's like, silent night. You know, you don't think like Joseph's like, Mary, you've been faithful. Like, like, that's not part of it, right? We don't think any of that. But it's real life. Guys, it's mind-blowing to me. Whenever we come upon this passage, that this is the situation into which the Son of God was born. Right? We know that wasn't fancy-schmancy. We know it was a manger. And I know I'm not the first person to, to, to bring this up, but a manger is a barn, guys. There's animals there. Animals pooping, right? It's messy. Jesus was not born on a throne in a palace. He was born in actual, ordinary life to a carpenter and his wife. They were just tradespeople. They weren't the poorest of the poor, but they were not rich by any means. You know, artisans of that time were considered pretty lowly. And this is who, this is the family that Jesus was born into. I didn't go into this, but if you go back into Matthew and you read the genealogy, it's, it's so fascinating. The genealogy is the, the record of the people in the family of Christ. And so it goes back. And by the way, there's a few names that, that get highlighted. Like one is Tamar. I'm not going to go into it, but if you guys know Tamar's story, it is not a pretty story. There's some other people there, and they highlight these people, and, and they bring it out, and it's like, why would you bring up one of the most shameful things that happened 
you know, amongst the 12 tribes of Israel. Why? And it's something very interesting that you see so many of these stories show up in the Bible. You know, I used to have a pastor that's like, man, you know, you think like tabloids are wild. Read the Bible. (laughs) There's some wild stuff in there. And they don't censor it. They don't take it out. They're not like, "Mm, mm, mm, mm. we can't have that in the Savior's family history and his family tree. No, 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 no. Erase that. It's all there. One of the things I point out all the time is like, one of the things that, that to me is like a confirmation that the Gospels are real and that they're accurate is look at how bad the disciples look. <laughs> look at Peter. Peter was the leader, right? And the story is about Peter, man. Almost none of them are flattering, right? I mean, Peter was alive during the time. Don't you think Peter would have been, gone around snatching people's Gospels? <laughs> like, give me that. Give me that. You can't read that about me. But friends, this is the story. Of salvation. It's a story with real human people in real situations. There's real brokenness. There's real mistakes, right? It's not all cleaned up. And that's one of the things that is so wonderful about the story too, right? And, and that we're told that it's the name of Jesus is that he will save the name of, of their son is Jesus, Yeshua, which means God saves. That's what it literally means, right? For he will save his people from their sins. So, friends, you know, yes, it is about Jesus being born into a broken world, into an actual, real, human, stinky world. But it's also about God saving us from our sins, from our mistakes, right? And so you got to have both. You know, sometimes we don't like those mistakes and we want to clean them up. But if you don't face them, right? Like, like you may not be able to change everything, but nothing that is not faced can be changed, right? You got to face it. You, you, you got to encounter it. And so Jesus is born into an actual broken world that needs saving, right? And he's come to save us. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. It's like this title for Jesus, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. He didn't escape. He wasn't like, yo, God, this is too much for me. Can you ask someone else to do this? He's like, no, this is what you've called me to. This is real life. Yeah, there's going to be people who stare. Can you imagine what Joseph's family would have said? Can you imagine how hard that would have been? All the questions, they're like, hey, I'm doing the math, Joseph, and Mary's belly is uh, looking pretty, pretty rounded there. I'm just doing the math of when you guys got married. It's not adding up, right? This is real stuff. This is real life. And this is where Jesus was born. Yeah. Merry Christmas, guys. <laughs> it's real life. When, uh, and so he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Friends, this message, did any of this intro, just be honest, right? Like, you guys don't have to tell me, but in your own heart, in your own mind, can you be honest? Was this introduction, was this uncomfortable for you? Did you squirm a little bit? I mean, seriously, is anything that I said not in the Bible? 
I mean, yes, I extrapolated and used my imagination in some parts, but it's biblical, right? But did it make you uncomfortable? It makes me uncomfortable. I'm not going to lie, right? Even as I was preaching, I'm like, oh, am I going too far? But it's in there. It's in there, right? And friends, I got to say that something has happened, right? Remember what the central message is. God wants to be with us in your actual life. But that's usually not the case for us. And one of the things that happens in modern life is we compartmentalize things, right? And so we have what we consider our secular lives or IRL, our real lives, right? Like, like your work, your hobbies, um, your, your intellect, your thoughts. I mean, come on, let's be honest. We keep those things separate from God, don't we? Our friends, our family, right? Our recreation, what we do in our spare time when no one else is looking, our finances, our emotions, I mean, at least some of them, maybe, like, like it's interesting, whoever made this graph, I didn't make this, but whoever made this graph, um, the secular, it kind of cuts through on the emotional part, but like not totally, because yeah, I mean, religion can be a, a sphere of emotions, but not all of them. Maybe not the anger, or the sadness, the disappointment, Right? Some of, some of that stuff, our anxiety, our fears, that, that's not always in the, the, the realm of faith, in the, what we might call the spiritual. And then we have these things that we consider sacred, right? And, and so if you see in this diagram, I don't know if you guys can see this very well, but the secular sphere is pretty big, right? But the sacred sphere, sphere is quite small because <laughs> it only takes up usually just like one part of your day one day a week, you know? Or maybe if you go to small group, then it'll take up like that couple of hours, you know? Or if you have a, a quiet time, you know, maybe 30 minutes every morning, right? But let's be honest, for many of us, we have learned to separate these things. And have you ever gone an entire week and just realized like, wow, I've like hardly ever thought of God. I'm not saying this to shame you. I'm saying that this is the modern condition that we find ourselves. And one of the things that I want to talk about this morning is why? How did this happen? And one of the things that I think we have to face is that this is a part of the story of the church that I don't think was completely intended. But think about even where we worship God, what we consider to be God's house. And throughout the ages, I mean, so for one, do you know where they worshiped in the New Testament? There's kind of two places they worshiped. In the book of Acts, you can see this. They worshiped at the temple, but they didn't worship inside the temple, right? Because, I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. If they were worshiping inside the temple, don't you think that the priests who are doing, like, the rituals would be like, shh, be quiet, <laughs> you know? They're, they're not worshiping inside the temple. They're in the temple courts. The courts were this huge open area where people could do anything. You ever hear the story where Jesus flipping over tables and stuff, where the money changers, that's where it's taking place, right? They call it the court of the Gentiles, it's just where anyone can go. It's like the more common area, and it gets holier as you go in, right? Until you get to the Holy of Holies that only the high priest can go to once a year. It's so holy. But on the outside, the court of Gentiles, not really considered that holy, right? That's why they could like sell stuff, and that's why Jesus was like, yo, you're making my father's house a den of robbers, right? That it's like you consider this area to be not holy, but it is, and not just because it's the temple, Right? But, but so, yeah, that's one place where uh, the, the uh, early Christians would worship. You know where else they would worship? Any, any, anyone? I mean, because temple's only in Jerusalem, right? And we have, like, 
the, the book of Ephesians and Philippians and you know, Thessalonians. And we have all these cities that are not in Jerusalem where there are churches. Where do you think they're worshiping? Any guesses? I'm putting the people on the spot who are here in person. I'll give you a hint. You're going to go there today. Their homes, yes, in their homes. That's where people worship. That's where the church was, right? And at some point, like, you know, as Christianity became the religion of the realm, of the Roman Empire, right, churches started to look like this. This is the Washington Cathedral. It's the only cathedral I have seen in person. Whenever, like, because I went to seminary in Washington, D.C., so it's a Roman Catholic cathedral, uh, but, like, presidents have been uh, laid to rest, like, they, they would have the services at the Washington Cathedral because it's beautiful and it's humongous, and I would love to, like, I don't know if there's, like, a girl I wanted to impress, like, let me show you the cathedral. It's so cool, right? You drive by it. And, dude, I want to show you the inside, man. It is beautiful. Look at that, those stained glass windows. I mean... That looks like a castle, right? It, 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 it looks like a castle. And, you know, and, and then the priest would wear these like really nice robes and, and the bishop would have like a big hat, right? Like a crazy looking hat that's like a crown, but even bigger than a crown. Because if you've seen like, you know, the, the, the way king's crowns would look like, and it was like the pope and the cardinals and bishops, they're like, yo, you call that a crown? Let me show you. Right? It's like big things. Cathedral actually means seat in Greek. And what it was, it's the seat of the bishop, right? That's why you have cathedrals all over the place. They're not just in Rome, because only the Pope, right? The Pope is in Rome, but you'd have bishops all over the place. They're like, oh, we need to give the bishop a throne to sit on. We need to give him his own castle. That's what a cathedral is, right? And maybe religious people, they like that. Like, oh, man, they're giving us all this respect. We're like royalty, right? And it, was, it felt like really, really special to come to church. And there was this kind of separation, right? And friends, you know, sometimes, right, like, like we'll treat people different. I remember, you know, there's this once, like, this youth group kid, you know, before his youth group started at church, and he cussed. And I looked at this kid, and I'm like, how dare you? You cussed in church, Right? Like, oh my gosh, like, do you not know where you are? Right? And yes, we have that attitude. We're like, you're in church. This is special. This is different. And I'm not saying all of that is bad, but I'm saying that it may have contributed to the way that we segment, the way that we think about church. By the way, I just thought for fun I would show you uh, what churches look like in Kyrgyzstan when we visited two years ago. This is Bishkek United Methodist Church. It just looks like a house, right? And this is another church that we visited. This, this is actually in, um, I believe it was uh, Kinda, and this is uh, Kinda United Methodist Church. And this is where the district superintendent, this is both the church and his house. And I, I took this picture because it's actually only half the house. <laughs> that fence separates their church from someone else who lives in the other half of this house. Right? And that's, that's what the church looks like. And, and if you want to see the inside of this church, this is it. Right? I mean, they have like pews, right? There's Connie and me uh, sitting there. It's very cozy. It's very nice. You know, but it, like the house, the pastor's house is the church. They would have Sunday school in the pastor's bedroom. You know, there's no separation. I'm not necessarily, I'm not, not necessarily like inviting you guys over per se, 
you know, but I'm just saying, there's no separation. And there are churches around the world that don't have that kind of separation where it's like, no, 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 this is holy space, this is secular space. This is sacred, this is not. And we just, mm, we put lines around it. But that's what we have done for the most part in the West. And so we have this separation. And you experience it every day, don't you? There are times where you feel this disconnect between you. You're going to work, or you're at home and you're just chilling. And you're not very much like a Christ follower in that moment. I'm not saying this, again, to shame you. I'm saying that this is almost everyone in the West. And then there's moments where like, maybe it's like dedicated space, like, okay, I am going to do a praise session. I'm going to pray, and we're going to make this holy ground. But friends, what does it mean that Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, came to be with us in the flesh? By the way, this is one of the things that was most distasteful to Jewish people. That they were like, this is like the most ridiculous thing that you've ever said. <laughs> that God, in his holiness, the way they treated God, God was so holy, you wouldn't say his name out loud. God was so holy that it was believed that if you were in the presence of God, if you even glimpsed at him, you would die. He's so separate. So that's what holiness means. It means to be set apart. This idea that God would become like us in flesh was preposterous and blasphemous. And that's what our faith is based on. We are joining the two. The things that you thought were just, ah, it's just ordinary stuff. It's, it's actually kind of beneath us a little bit. And by the way, some of that still survives. We still treat the body like it's something dirty and evil, right? And, and a lot of that, by the way, is not Christianity. It's Plato. There's this idea of like, like there, there's the, the realm of material, and then there's the realm of ideas. There is the body, and there's the soul. And yes, we do have the concept of the soul in the Bible, but it's actually different. Soul is a completeness. Soul is your body, your spirit, all of it, right? And, and it, you ever see like where people would, would say like they would count souls? So like, like a ship would go down and they would be like 43 souls were lost. They don't just mean the thing inside of your flesh, you know, vessel. They mean the person died, all of them. The soul is a completeness, but in Greek, philosophy, it was not. The soul was separate from your body. And that has creeped into so much of Western thought and Western Christianity, where we just seem to think that there is spiritual things and physical things. But God wanted to bring it together. That's what Jesus was about. It's a mystery. Fully God, fully human. Fully spiritual, fully flesh. And he brings them together. Right? Friends, um, you see it all throughout Scripture. I'm just going to give you two examples of this real quick. I mean, we could go into way more detail, but do you guys remember when Jesus is talking about at the end of time that there's going to be this judgment? And the king's going to look to those on his right. So there, there's left, right, there's sheep, there, there's sheep, there are goats. And, and to the, the, the sheep, the ones that, that have followed him, 
He says, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. What is he talking about? He's talking about ordinary stuff. He's talking about flesh and bones and food and being someone in in their presence and water, things you can touch, right? And he's saying, I am there. It's one of the excuses the church has made for not taking care of the poor. We're like, oh, no, 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 it's spiritual. We want to save your soul so you can go to heaven, right? Like, none of this stuff matters. Yeah, like, I'm rich, but don't, don't, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. I just happen to be rich. And you happen to be poor. Just pray, and you'll go to heaven. But look at what Jesus says. He's like, I am amongst these people. You can encounter me when you encounter the poor. You can encounter me when you actually physically help somebody. Right? It is an embodied faith. And something that we cannot ignore, that Jesus wants to be the God of actual physical life. Not just the God of your afterlife. Amen? The, 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 another passage um, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, says, have this mind amongst yourselves. So again, it's not just for Jesus. We're supposed to have the same mind, right? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That that word grasped means exploited. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of humankind, of men and women. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So you see that Jesus, this this ultimate expression of humility and and this ultimate expression of love and service to, to God comes in the form of him becoming like us, fully like us. And so therefore... God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Because Jesus has done this. It is the greatness of God. It's not a concession. It's not like, oh, God is less God because he became flesh. In a a weird way, God is more to be praised that he came to be here with us in the flesh, right? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is something that we worship God for, we thank God for. Friends, what does it mean to say that God is with us? What does that mean? I I, I want us, you know, in this season, but also just going into the new year, and just throughout life, I mean, for one, I, I just want you to know that if you have been separating God from the rest of your life, just know you're very much a product of Western Christianity, right? And that's just kind of what's happened over the last 2,000 years. But Jesus' desire was always to break into your actual life and more and more to be a part of it. So let him in. That, that's the message. Let him in. Let him be with you. 
in your thoughts. Some of this stuff, it makes us uncomfortable because we've gotten so used to keeping God out and it makes us feel uncomfortable. It's almost like, you know, like when, when you've got like an authority figure, like your parents are around or I don't know, maybe like a teacher or a police officer or something and, and they're watching you do something that you're a little bit ashamed of. And for many of us, we don't want God to know all these things, but God already does. By the way, if we really believe that God has the best things in mind for us, for God to be a part of your life, it can be nothing but good. I'm telling you guys, it can be nothing but good. What are we afraid of? What are we hiding from God? That's one thing that I want us to be honest about. Is it benefiting us in some way? Because I think we all have this thing that we're like, "Mm -mm -mm. I want to keep that for myself. God, I, I don't want you to know that thing. Or I want to have this, right? One of the tricks that I think the church pulls on us is they get you to look over there. <laughs> I, I, I've, you know, mentioned this about, like, like Trump and stuff like that, but, and, and I don't mean to say he's the only one who does it. They all do it. But let's say you're a politician and you are very, very, very rich. You're very rich. And if you start taxing some of the, yeah, Gomi's like, yeah. Uh, if you start taxing some of these rich people, you could really benefit some of the poor people. But they don't want to do that because they're very, 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 very rich. And so what do they do? They're like, no, 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 look over there. No, no, no. You see those illegal people who are busting into the country and they're taking your jobs? Pay attention to them. The church has done this for so long. We have focused on certain sins that honestly, a lot of the people who are focusing on them are not struggling with, right? There's, there's hetero white males, right, who are really, really focused on things like homosexuality and abortion and things like that. And I'm not saying that those things are important. Please don't hear me saying that. I'm not saying those things aren't sins and those things aren't in the Bible. But I know this for a fact. Jesus doesn't talk about a single one of those things. You know what he talks about? A lot? Money. And there are a lot of churches that are really rich. A lot of people in those churches. And we're not talking about that. Mm, look over there. Look over there. Mm, not here. Look over there. What are we doing? We're compartmentalizing. Right? So friends, <laughs> for those of you at home, there's a lot of people looking down right now. I know. It's uncomfortable. But this is what we got to do. Open your eyes. Let him in. You see Jesus when he came to this world? He came gentle. He didn't come blasting those people for the wrong that they've done. He comes into your life because, by the way, if he came blasting us, then we would just put up more walls. That's what people do when they're under attack. But what Jesus shows us is there's no reason for us to turn away. It's, it's just grace. It's love. He, he loves you exactly as you are. You can let him into your actual life. And he can save you from it too. How many things do you think are perpetuated in this world because we're not willing to face it? How many of our, our, our sins, our mistakes? We don't face it because it makes us uncomfortable. It's not because we think it's going to get better that way. Let's be honest. 
The way it's going to get better is if you let God in. You let him in to all the stuff you're kind of embarrassed about. All the stuff that is your sins to carry, your burdens, your faults. Stop saying, look over there, look over there. You've got to look right here. This is where the Christ desires to come, into your actual life. That's good news. It's good news because you know you're not alone, right? You know that you don't need to hide anything from God. Do you think God was surprised by the stuff that was happening to Joseph and Mary? Do you think he was like, oh, I made a mistake? It's all part of his perfect plan. He knew. He knew how messy it would be. And he knows exactly how messy your life is. He knows exactly how hard things can be for you. And he still wants to be a part of it. He wants to shed light on it. He wants to save you. He wants to be with you. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. Can I ask the praise team to come up? This is a difficult question to ask, and it's not something that I think can easily be answered just in a Sunday service, but I want to encourage you as you just go along your week, I don't know, maybe you're Christmas shopping or you're stressing about work or you're just like doodling on your phone. I don't know, doodling. Doodling means you're drawing something. You're messing around on your phone before you go to bed. And Friends, maybe you can just ask this question. It's not just really an intellectual question. It's a question that goes a little bit deeper. What are we compartmentalizing from God? What are we saying, God, no, 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 don't look over here. Look over there. No, no, God, not here, not here. What is that thing? Can you just confess that? If you know what that is, and maybe you just want to take a few moments, is as we're singing this song, you know, you, you feel free to sing with us, but maybe the Holy Spirit is just wanting you to be quiet. Just, just wanting to, to bring something to your attention gently and lovingly. Saying, yes, this is something that you are keeping away from God. You, you put fences around this and He wants to break in. He wants to incarnate into your life in this specific area of your life. Whatever that might be. Can you let Him in? Can you confess that? Can you acknowledge that? God, we confess that there's so many things, God, that we have just cordoned off. We just said, no, God, don't come in here. Or just unconsciously, subconsciously, our culture has made it so that we can just relegate God to a church building. We can relegate you, God, to certain days or certain times. But Lord, we know you desire to break in. Your son wants to be a part of all that we do. So God, we want to give you the reins of our life, our actual lives, in real life, our real jobs, our real relationships, our real problems, our real addictions, our real uh, emotions, our, our real struggles. God, come in. And Jesus, would you save us? And would you let us know, God, that you love us? You already knew those things anyways. But you want us to let you in. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.